You are listening to Raíces Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of Black, Indigenous, people of color, and other marginalized voices in connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and I acknowledge that I am recording from two different places. I am in one location, and my guest is in another one. I am currently in, I'm in quarantine, and um, Quechua and Hak. Hakaru um, territory, or so-called Lima, Peru, and my guest is in Kosalish territory, in so-called um, Mount Vernon, Washington, and is kind of an episode coming from an interesting time in society, in life. But yeah, I guess we're just taking advantage of the time that we have to be indoors right now and to stay connected with folks. Um, this episode is part of the two-episode series. Um, featuring the artist of Raices Verdes, just you know, to give thanks to them for giving their art, for giving their contribution and their support to this podcast. Because even though it's under my name, Asamara, at the end of the day, I think this work is truly in a collective. So on this episode, we are featuring Dario Castellón, who is the amazing artist of Raices Verdes. For the postcards that you all have probably received, um, featuring you know this beautiful art that I use as like the logo, as banner on different platforms, and just really overall to think about like he just put into vision into like visuals what my process was thinking about Raices Verdes, about my own history, but also just something that could transcend and like a lot of people could connect with it, right? Even if they're not from. Michoacan or have a connection to sugarcane he just really put that into this beautiful um, artwork so I really love that EO I'm so excited to have him back on the podcast he was the very first guest and so many people loved that episode so really it was you know of demand that I have him back on so hi that EO hello 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 we're back at it <laughs> so how are you doing with this virus I'm doing well. I think also in quarantine, although uh, America doesn't know what that means sometimes. <laughs> um, honestly, being way, going well, I don't know. It's I'm someone who is just like, I think I am glad to have this ability to just sort of like observe and and let the water carry me in a way. Um, <clears throat> because there, I was telling you, there's only so much we can do about the situation, and uh, right now it's just important that we do what we are supposed to, which is stay inside, stay away from people who might be more affected than than us as young people. Um, so I'm just taking it day by day and just living. Yeah, I feel that. I think that was my sort of mantra today during or mantra today during yoga was thinking. What can I control? Like, just focus on the things you can control. Because like you said, a veces, like, me deprimo mucho, just, like, looking at all this stuff on social media. And I think the reason why is because a lot of those things that people are posting or situations are so out of my control, right? So I think, like you said, just focusing on what we can do for ourselves immediately and around us is, like, the most important thing. Yeah, totally. And all of, like, being aware um, of our surroundings and and... In a way, being watchful, um, at least I have to ask myself, um, you know, what is, what's going on in the background during this time that not everybody's going to be paying attention to, um, you know, like, for me, there's always something behind something else, um, 
So I'm just sort of like, okay, now that they have us off the street, like what are they planning to do behind our backs? Things like that. Yes, um, 100%. Just because there's, there's probably a lot of things going on aside from the virus that we're not really paying attention to because we're scared about this, that um, like it's really important to, to just like also um, look other to other ways and see, make sure that we're not being played or taken advantage of. Yeah, I mean, not to get into the conspiracy theories, but it's, you know, it's wild that this is election year for the U.S. And like, you know, not that like I think the U.S. government is like it or it's what's going to save us, but at the end of the day, like, I think this election does have consequences for a lot of people, right? A lot of people in our community. And so I think, yeah, it's just kind of wild that this is happening on this election year because then people are paying less attention to some other politics, right? So I agree. Stay. Stay. I mean, I think that's such a Scorpio thing of you, a Scorpio thing of you, right? To have like three eyes and you're like, I am watching y'all. So yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, history has taught us that. If we pay attention to it, like, <laughs> you really know that, like, a, a lot of distractions have <laughs> been used to to cover up things. And um, I'm really worried because <laughs> I'm going through this immigration process still, and I'm just like, are they listening to me over the phone saying all these things? And they're like, yeah, we're not giving you your papers. <laughs> like, right. Um, no, that's real. I was going to ask like, you about that. How, that. Are you just at the point where you're waiting for them to send it? back like your green card right because you that's why you renewed is that why you renewed i um i applied for citizenship and um my green card expired so they that they also needed me to um, renew my green card because it's the only way that i can prove that i be employed mm-hmm. um and also I leave the country that's the only way for me to come back then i drove down today and i thought that the office was closed so they're gonna reschedule my appointment Oh, wow. Yeah, I think a lot of those processes are going to get backed up. So hopefully, like you said, they find ways to just keep you updated, you know, because that's just, again, out of your control. But we got to be on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, switching gears a little bit, like I talked about, um, you know, you're one of the artists for Raices Verdes. Why did you want to contribute your art to Raices Verdes? You know, back in the day last year, kind of around this time when I came up to you, you know, and and asked you if you could take my little sketch into life. Like, why Why did you feel like that's something you wanted to be part of? Um, well, we had talked about this uh, podcast before, like the idea that you had to just create a platform for you to just, like, archive these um, stories. Um, and I don't know. I knew that it was something really special to you. And um, for me, art is it's sort of like an outlet for me to express myself. I'm a Scorpio, so, like, I don't really like to say... Uh, what's inside unless I trust people. So art allows me to do that without having to like really let people inside. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I knew that uh, this, this podcast was really special to you. And like, I've always been someone that has supported me and hyped me up on my, uh, on my art, whether it was makeup, whether it was painting, drawing, you're really supportive. So um, my favorite part about giving to people is just giving them something that specific to them that it's really special to them and uh this um, logo and um the banner was a really good opportunity for me to uh, give you something that is just meant for you and that like it has a big meaning behind it wow thank you so much again i feel so blessed that like races where this really is a collective and people have just believed in this you know from the beginning and been wanting to contribute it in different ways 
I'm really excited for today's episode. Something that really bonded us from day one was, you know, being in the urban planning field. And I think now when I tell people, you know, that's what my degree is in, there's still a lot of like, well, I don't really know what that is or what does that mean? And so I think, you know, this will be kind of an episode for us to like explain how we understand it, but also like just probably talk shit about it, you know? So I'm, I'm excited yeah. this episode. Darío literally said this to me when we were on it at the airport on our way to a planning conference. They were making fun of someone, I think, and they were like, I will plan your ass out of the city, you know, because as an urban planner, he can do that. So, you know, that's what we're going to get into today. How can you plan someone's ass out of the city? So, Darío, how do you define urban planning? Yeah, um, <laughs> um, I had an interview the other day about um, a job related to environmentalism, and they asked the same thing about sustainability. Um, and what I answered was, um, you know, I have more questions about urban planning that I do um, um, some answers for it, right? Uh, I define urban planning personally from what we have learned. It's sort of like the administration of the city and its natural resources and the built environment and just how to not necessarily fix its problems but make them better um, day by day and just uh, for us, for you and I, it has been really been important to uh, make sure that people are part of it, especially the people that are directly affected by the changes that like one as a planner implements. But um, then again, I think our program didn't do a really good job of um, empowering people who are not necessarily white and cisgender to um, really find their place in urban planning. Like they're like, you can be in urban planning, but only for this and that. Um, so I also define it as a mess currently, just mm -hmm. a simple mess. Yeah, I feel like I agree with what you said, where they just kept teaching us like, Urban planning can only look this way. And a lot of it was like city planning specifically. And um, yeah, like there wasn't really room for people like you and I, you know, people of color for in your case, um, queer people of color. So like, yeah, it's been interesting defining it because I would say similar to what you said, it's a lot about like, yes, the physical space, but also like community driven, like change and then power to the people, right? Like that the people are deciding what's happening. Um, we kind of already like started getting into it, but yeah, just tell like, you know, I want to hear more about how you felt about urban planning program at Western, because I'm sure there are people who might listen to this that are considering an urban planning um, program. Like what was the experience for you or what did you not like? Like, what was it like, you know? Yeah, um, and just to finish off the previous question, um, it's totally okay if people don't know what urban planning is because um, even as an urban planning major, and I feel like you might feel the same way, um, mm -hmm. we don't really know what it is sometimes. Um, okay. There's like way too much behind it for it to be defined by one thing or by a one paragraph definition. Um, mm -hmm. But um, the program at Western, if you are considering it, um, go for it. It is a good program. Um, it is accredited, whatever that means. Um, and you do have some good faculty that are going to have your back. Uh, my biggest recommendation is for you to show up and claim your spot and claim your right for um, a right education, a good education. Um, feel uh, welcome and open to challenge the norm of what is being taught in class because a lot of people in this program and in that school in particular think that whatever has been taught for 10 years can be taught for another 20. And uh, mm -hmm. that is, I feel personally, failed 
by that program because um, I don't feel that I am prepared to even go work with my community of, um, you know, of queer people and people of color because they really never went in depth um, in our classes. So if you have something that you want to learn from urban planning, if you want to mix urban planning with another discipline, you go and claim that um, as soon as you can because if you don't, these people are going to think that you are complacent with whatever they're teaching you and they're not going to really push for anything else. Right. And our program was really unique um, because we had, you know, that like sustainability focus and it's within the environmental college. So, yeah, I guess you want to maybe just put in your opinion before I talk about mine about how whether you liked it or didn't like or what do you think was missing in terms of that intersection of sustainability and urban planning that we sort of um, got told a lot during our program? Yeah, um I appreciate that it was within Huxley College of the Environment. Um, I got to learn a lot about um, environmental systems and our relationship to the environment, which was, I feel like, the most important um, thing that I learned, mostly because um, I think we talked about it in the first episode. Uh, coming from Mexico, we're not necessarily um, looking at the environment the way that it is looked at here in the U.S. So um, I really appreciate having that foundation um, of environmentalism, um, since urban planning does have a lot to do with it and it works hand in hand. Um, really, any any discipline that anybody ever does really goes hand in hand with the environment. It has to go because we're always affecting it and it's always affecting us. And look at us today, we're have, having to stay in our homes because uh, there's fires out there that can kill a lot of people. Um, and we, healthy people, have a lot um, lot to do with that. You know, we have a lot of power to help stop it or to just make it crazy. Um, so yes, I really appreciate that it was um, hand in hand with the environment um, at this program. Um, I think because it was very mental focused, um, there was a lot of flexibility within classes themselves for students to do what they wanted to do. Or maybe it was us that we were just were scary to the professors and they didn't want to say no to us. When I we know. Came up and like, I yeah, feel like I had like five or six overrides. <laughs> I know. I feel like I had so many overrides in my transcript from the urban planning program. I think people have some sort of empathy, have a higher sense of empathy. The, not necessarily towards, um, you know, people of color and queer students because, I, I, again, the whole college doesn't really touch into any of that in their classes. But while having empathy for the environment, I feel like that kind of helps them see a little bit further than what they're looking at and, and be open to let students um, explore their own things. And that's why I say if there's something that you really want to do with this program, make it truly your own because... Um, a lot of what I tell myself is that um, what I'm being told today, that things are the way they are, um, there's no security that they're going to be that way in the future. Um, and that doesn't mean that I have to keep up the same thing for my future. You know, like I don't have to um, continue with the same teachings that people back in the day got. Um, so I really have to be critical about what uh, we were being taught in class and know where there were holes that needed to be filled. Right. And it was cool, too, that even within already kind of specific program, like very sustainability focused, we each also got to um, focus on different things. I know you did um, a lot of classes and work around hazards management, like natural hazards. And just um, I thought that was really cool. Just like how do you plan spaces in terms of 
um, emergency planning, right? And then I know you also are were thinking about um, grad school for architecture. So that's another element, right? Like more of the design part. That honestly, those are things that I didn't really like focus a lot. I think I wish I would have done a little bit more of emergency planning, but like architecture and the design aspect is not really my thing. And it kind of makes sense for you since you also have sort of like a natural like art. Um, you, you gravitate towards art, right, and design. And for me, I think it was more on the education aspect because of my minor in education. And so I was thinking constantly about like, what would I want this curriculum to look like to include exactly what you said, to include more POC, more queer folks, more queer people of color in the narratives about urban planning, right? And not saying that one is better than the other, but I think it helped that we each had kind of our own focus. So that way when we came together and talked about like our program and like we're doing right now, right? We can see how it all comes together over and over. And so I really like that about too, like you said, the flexibility of our program, let us kind of focus each on our thing. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about kind of emergency planning and what maybe you learned through that when you took classes with just over the Rebecca and whatnot. Yeah, um, honestly, if that was a major, I would have probably switched from urban planning to um, disaster restriction. But um, what was it called? Disaster? It was, is it disaster reduction, right? Uh, yeah, disaster risk reduction mm-hmm. uh, or DRR. Um, that's what we used to call it. But. Um, it was a great program. Honestly, it had the best structure. It was very challenging. I really appreciated the challenging part because outside of that, outside of those classes, I didn't really feel very challenged. Um, and I also didn't feel like I had a lot of support or um, ways for me to make sure that I was getting the education that fit me personally the best. Um, and with R, even though it felt very rigorous and challenging, um, there was a structure behind it that I could go on my own and follow and figure out what I needed to do without having to ask for help. And if I needed help and if I needed accommodations, Rebecca was always um, really good at holding me accountable for my part, but also being like, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can offer you. Um, and also, I think... Uh, like faculty have a, such a huge impact in our experiences in college because they are the ones that literally know what they're teaching us. Hmm. Um, and it's really important for them to have that flexibility and that um, empathy with their students because um, each and every one of the students sitting in our classroom have a very unique way of learning. Um, and it's important to not let anybody fall behind. Um, and even though I could feel like I was falling behind in these classes, I knew that I could just go up to Rebecca and she would help me pick myself back up. Um, and I really appreciate that of this program, uh, this um, concentration that I did for my program in planning. Right. And it's speaking of faculty, then on the opposite, I feel like I honestly would have wanted to concentrate more on transportation planning because I think as someone who gets a lot of anxiety around driving and just sees the benefits of like public transportation, I think like that is where so much of our investment needs to be going is how do we make those transportation, um, yeah, the transportation system safe and affordable or really free is the move for different folks, right? Or for everyone. But like you said, faculty kind of makes it or break it in the situation. And we had a faculty member, Paul Stengel, I don't give a fuck saying his name, Paul Stengel is a sexual harasser at WWU who's still working there, didn't get fired, and is the only one who apparently is competent enough to teach transportation planning. So I just feel like I spaced out during his classes because he was already a really mediocre teacher. And on top of that, like he's a sexual harasser, so I wasn't really trying to engage with him. So yeah, I feel like moving forward, that's one part 
of planning that I now want to take up on my own or just make it part of like my concentration if I move into grad school is like how do you plan safe and you know affordable or free public transportation for folks and so yeah I agree like faculty or staff can make it or break it for sure yeah and the same thing was for uh, you know DRR and it's like the same thing with college in general. I really appreciated having that foundation too for urban planning. I think there needs to be um, a cultural competency aspect to the um, major in general. Um, and then there needs to be a focus on disaster risk and then a focus on transportation um, and in general and sustainability practices uh, for urban planning as a whole because you can't just expect students to go to an environmental college, um, get major in urban planning without knowing the plan for communities of color. Um, that was like my biggest problem with this program that like the white kids were graduating without knowing the impact that they were actually going to have on the communities. And without like, I, I wonder if they actually feel competent whenever they have to work with communities of color, which I personally, if I was on their shoes, I would not feel competent. And I would right. pull myself out of that situation because I'm like, you are literally disservicing all these people. But you really have no capacity to understand what their needs are to themselves, you know? Right. Um, and this so, goes back to like why like you and I know more than them in some ways because we got we got knowledge that we didn't get from academia, right? Like the only reason why you and I might be a little bit more competent to work with different POC communities in terms of urban planning is because we're part of those communities, right? Like we've been living on public transportation, on like low income housing and all these other different situations because our families were part of those communities, right? Like you and I maybe now moved up whatever on the social ladder because of our degrees, because of like how much we can earn. But, you know, like those were our communities. Those are people, we still got people that live in those communities, you know? And so like that's the reason why you and I are competent. But of course, those are the kind of, that's kind of knowledge that doesn't get, like, you know, put into the curriculum. And we kind of tried to, you know, back with our friends, um, Milka and Gloria, who, like, we tried bringing that up, and we know how that went, you know? People just don't take it seriously and felt very attacked when we brought up these things. Oh, yeah. But then they started using that on their following classes. So um, <laughs> there's that. Yes. that. yes, they will co-op um, your work if you're POC or of any marginalized identity because they already don't have it in their curriculum. So just letting people know that. Yeah, so if you're going to go into this program and you, you're going in knowing that you're going to have to do extra work to, to be able to get the education that you want out of it, you might as well go headstrong and make sure that you get your recognition. Um, don't be scared to claim the work that you did. And, um, you know, if there's a way for you to get compensated, uh, make sure that you ask for that because... Um, it's very easy for the college itself to leave all of the work for the students and the few faculty that are actually caring about these students to do all of the work, and then eventually they take all of the credit. Yep. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. one day you're going to go out and be famous, and they're <laughs> going to be like, "Oh, Samara was one of her students. Like, Ooh, she was yeah. great. For sure. uh, we did that. Right. Oh, 100%. They will take, yeah, and like you said, make sure you get credit and also, like, really fight the imposter syndrome. I know I went through that a lot during the program, and I think you did as well. And so, oh, yes. yeah, the, the imposter syndrome is real. You just, like, tienes que dar cachetadas a ti misma sometimes. <laughs> you know, just, like, kind of give yourself yeah. a little mental slap and be like, you know what, I got this. I got to get out of this funk. Like like you said, we got other, not like, 
we got other knowledge, you know, that these people don't got. I guess then kind of shifting away from maybe like what we were taught and just kind of what, the, the box that we were kept in. Outside of that or within that, what about urban planning excites you? You know, like what makes you excited about the field? Like what did you learn or have you, you've searched on your own that you're like, yes, this is the kind of planning that I'm excited about? Yeah, um, I am personally excited about all of the possibilities that exist within this field mm-hmm. that are currently not being taken seriously because they are not supporting the capitalism in this country. Could you, that was uh, a really good quote, but could you like move a little closer to the microphone on your phone and say that again, please? Sorry, it was kind of low on the volume. Yeah, right. So what excites me the most about uh, urban planning is all of these possibilities of uh, just projects and things that are not taken seriously, um, such as income housing, because they don't support capitalism, because there's no way to profit off of these things. When in reality, uh, public servants, as urban planners, it's our responsibility to serve our communities, and where our communities need safe housing that is affordable, we need to provide no matter what. Um, and I feel like there's a lack of accountability um, than local governments to ensure that people actually have access to um, affordable housing and affordable resources like free transportation, um, clean water, uh, you know, all these things. Like, there's just so much work that that is just ready for us to pick it up. But a lot of what I got from our program was that um, urban planning is a certain way and that you should prepare yourself to go into this kind of work um, and just sort of like be complacent with it and not push your boundaries. Um, and what I got from that is that urban planners are always in the middle between the government and between um, the community, the people that are um, wanting change in their cities. Um, so instead of us pushing uh, the boundaries, we are being pushed around. And for my understanding was that we should just let that be as it is. And first of all, I don't like to be pushed around. Nobody likes to be pushed around uh, between the people and the government. I don't like to be in the middle of these two situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, current urban planners, future urban planners really need to think about uh, what place they want to have in the field. Because a lot for, for me, it just felt like urban planners do have a lot of um, experience and professionalism and a lot of um, abilities to make changes in the city, but these changes won't happen unless people in power um, say yes, or the people who are uh, making those decisions in the community say yes. And like I said before, there's always a lot of intention behind everything that's happening in our cities. So if a project is being denied, it's because someone has a different interest for that. Right. Um, I really could probably like... About Oh, sorry. Yeah, like it probably cuts down on someone's profit and that's why they don't want to keep that low income housing or something else, right? Yeah, an example that we can give is the, um, the uh, shelter, shelter, um, homeless shelters in Bellingham that no neighborhood in Bellingham wanted to have them there because apparently they had children everywhere. I mean, like children are going to be everywhere in the city. <laughs> um, but nobody wanted to, to have a homeless shelter in their neighborhood because of that. And the planner came into our class to talk about that. I rose my, I raised my hand and I was like, "Hey, like I know there's a lot of technicality, a lot of politics that go into this, and a lot of like urban planning work that has to be planned for homeless shelter, but there needs to be a change in perception and culture within this community to be able to understand why it is that people can't um, 
don't want a homeless shelter in their community. Like, like what's really behind it? You know, it has to do with race, it has to do with class, um, and it has to do with all these other things. And I was pretty much shut down in that class. I, I was being told, like, yeah, that's outside of our boundaries. And that's <laughs> the first thing that I hate about people in this field, thinking that, oh, we're going to go make all this change, but only if we're allowed to do it. Right. Or we have to just and stick to the paperwork crazy. and, like, the process. But like you said, not think about the yeah. social impacts of it. Or like like you said, the social structures, whether it's racism or classism, that sit behind it. Yeah. So like if people are going to go into this and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to be doing what I'm told by people in power. Like you might as well just find something else to do. <laughs> um, because like you really, you really have to go into this field knowing that you're going to be working for people. Yeah, and, like, I think we talked about – I don't think you were in my planning theory class, but we talked about it, and people got super offended when Nabil, like, one of our faculty members, was like, um, y'all are tools of capitalism, basically, right? Like, that's what he was saying, because he's like, if you're following these orders of the government, like you said, like, you're the middleman who does the um, the yeah. dirty the dirty work for the envir- for the government, right? Like, you're doing the dirty work of signing off papers, of making these plans, and that's why you think you don't have control, because you're just like – well, this is all I'm told to do. Like, I have to follow these rules, right? And so that's how you become a tool of it, of the government. Or like you said, you resist that and you find other ways to plan that are community grassroots-based. A lot of what I ask myself, even in the little position that I have working for our university, is um, how much can I personally push within my boundaries before I begin to get in trouble? Mm-hmm. And am I willing to get in trouble for people who are coming up to me and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. I have already asked for help and I'm being ignored. Um, what do I do or can you help me? Um, and I really have to hold myself accountable on that because like, we have platforms. Like After graduating from college, we are given a platform um, uh, you can think of it as a, of a superpower that like we can use to support others in our community. And if we're not using that, then, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. We are just being another uh, money producing machine. Yes, and exactly. And like you said, I think that reminded me also of how Nabil, again, really enforced in me or really brought to me this idea that we are all urban planners, right? Like not just you and I who have this degree, but like our moms, our like friends, our neighbors, the bus driver, right? Like we're all planners of our city because we all contribute to the city. And so, like you said, in our small roles, like we we should ask ourselves like every day, whether it's not working directly in urban planning, whether it's just working at a university like you are or whatever we're doing, how am I contributing to the way like the city, the space is being shaped, right? Exactly. Yes. Well, okay. So then I guess in Darío's ideal city, you know, what kind of spaces would you want? Like what... You know, we kind of did this at the urban planning conference we were at where we were designing, you know, um, a queer-friendly city, I think is what I remember, or like a city for queer folks. But for you, you know, as Dario, yeah. not as just like, you're, like whatever you want to include in your city, like what is, ide- what is ideal for you? As an artist, I really want a lot of um, artistic spaces um, for folks to be able to express themselves. I would... If I had power over a city, if, if I had my town, I would say any wall in the city is a campus and you are free to go and fill it up with um, anything you want. Of course, as long as it's uh, not affecting other people negatively, of course. But um, we had something in, in a class. Remember that one girl who was really offended by graffiti and apparently graffiti only belongs in certain places? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. 
graffiti, but you're welcome everywhere in my city. Um, I also want recreative spaces, like recreation, like parks and like spaces next to the water, um, just opportunities for people to be outside, but um, ensuring that these spaces are inclusive because um, for those of us that can relate, um, not being a uh, cis white person, for example, on campus in our university, every grass lawn was filled with people. And the moment you stepped onto it, you already felt out of place. Um, and what I want is for people to be able to step into these spaces and feel like it is really for them and that they belong, that they not really be feeling like they have to dress a certain way or have to have certain activities or certain equipment to be able to enjoy their environment. I love that. And what about... Um like housing, like what would housing be like in Darío's ideal city? Oh, yeah. Um, there would be no suburbs in my city. <laughs> I uh, I have nothing against single-family homes because uh, my sister has seven kids, so I understand that she needs a house <laughs> to live in. But the way, you know, you and I both know that um, suburbs are not necessarily the best place to live at uh, at all. Um, so, yeah, there would be no suburbs. There would be a lot of mixed-use housing, a lot of uh, plenty of affordable housing with the city center because if somebody needs affordable housing and have a car, it really doesn't help if their affordable housing is on the outskirts and the bus only goes there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple times a day. That's really That really defeats the purpose. Um, and in a way, it's really excluding people from experiencing the life that they are really working hard to to live, that they're not getting to live as the system is not really um, built for them. Right. No, 100 percent. Wow. I'm I'm excited then when you when you help create some more artistic spaces, because I know you will be doing this work for a long time. Do you have anything else to add about urban planning, about like design or want to share anything else with us about your future plans with this? Yeah, um, I mean, so far, especially with um, our current situation, I continue to want to work with urban planning, particularly with community development and disaster risk reduction, basically because these two things really go closely together. Um, Think about it. Community development, just getting a community to um, truly be close um, and supportive of each other, for them to have systems to systems in place to protect each other during emergencies um, and situations where, you know, there's going to be people that are going to need childcare and there's going to be people that need medical care, um, just to have a strong sense of community where um, everyone feels like they have somebody um, that's going to step in for them or that is going to support them whenever they need something. Um, and then, of course, disaster risk reduction, like we really need it everywhere that we are. We need it in transportation. We need it in housing. We need it in our uh, public spaces. Uh, like I'm really, really interested in disaster risk reduction. Um, and, of course, um, architecture and art are things that I am still passionate about. But um, uh, a mindset that I have is that uh, nothing is set in stone and that truly like we can we can like go out there and build the career that we want to have um, without feeling like we have to fit into a certain box. Right. And I think it's so funny, right? The time in society that we are right now with this virus, like everything you talked about in community development that you want to do or see in the future, that's exactly like what we need right now, right? And what people are kind of doing from scratch, like this idea, like you said, 
of having access to like medical care nearby, about having community, relying on your neighbors, taking care of each other's kids. Like that's what's happening right now. Not so much because like por ganas, sino por necesidad, right? Like because we need to. And so I think again, it's right. like urban planning or just planning of spaces in th in this case in so-called U.S. would have happened in a more community base from the beginning. Then you know we wouldn't be reacting to the way that we're reacting to the virus right now. But we know that that is essentially not gonna wouldn't have happened in the U.S. because to begin with it was on stolen land. So how can you even start community that way, right? So yeah, I think it's really interesting what you talked about community development and emergency risk reduction because those are all things that we wish we were doing right now in terms of the virus, right? Or that people had done in the past to prevent this current crisis. Our hoarding toilet paper tells us <laughs> that nobody's really prepared for any emergency. I have the privilege to have had, you know, disaster reduction and have had the, a trait that I did for a CERT, which is the Community Emergency Response Team, um, that anybody can do in a city. Like, if you have the ability to pay for it, go and sign up and go through this training. And if you can't pay for it, um, they do have ways for you to be able to do the program without having to pay. Um, but basically, it prepares you on how to respond during emergencies, during a car crash in the highway. Like It shows you the steps that you need to follow to ensure that nobody else gets hurt and that the people that need help get the help that they want. Um, it just basically um, helps you bring order to any situation where you feel like you don't know what to do. And maybe that's why I'm so calm during this time and, like, everybody else is just, like, super worried. But it's just, like, there's only so much that you can do in a situation. And it's just a matter of you knowing the steps that you can take um, at the moment. Right. Um, and so many of us are not realizing, yeah. like, I, I think about this almost every day and it kind of stresses me out. But just, like, how even though it's an emergency situation, a lot of us are very privileged. Like, you know, you and I have Wi-Fi at home. Like, we have a lot of amenities at home. Like, we're not really, like like you said, there's no need to stress if we're doing the steps that we can do to stay safe, right? Like, that means, like, social distancing, making sure that our families are okay, like, our income is relatively okay right now, things like that, right? So, like, again, people just kind of need to, like, yeah. take a step back from the panic and realize that a lot of us are in very comfortable situations during this emergency. And, again, seeing how you can extend some of your resources to those who aren't. And yeah, and also understanding, um, and a lot of this may be like really big for um, some of us, including myself, to still understand, but um, this coronavirus is really teaching us a lot of things about our system that we are part of and um, our place in it. Um, for example, I felt that it was kind of wrong that um, we would not be doing work. Like I was just like, people are not doing work. Like that's... It feels wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But because we're always taught that we're always supposed to be productive and we're always supposed to be doing something. But I personally think that more than us needing the system for jobs and for um, living, um, at this point, the system really needs us. And really, we really need to grab that power and run with it. Yes. Um, because truly, we are the ones that make the world spin in a way. Um, and the moment we really understand that, that and um, our ability to use the power for the benefit of ourselves and for our communities, um, I'm excited for the changes that are going to come from this. Yes. Um, because this world has been messed up for a really long time, and I think it's about time that we um, reclaim our spaces. 
For sure, changing the tables. And I think that's a beautiful way to wrap it up. You know, Dario said, radicalize yourself. That's what I heard from that message. <laughs> he was like, you know, check in with yourself and rethink things. So, yeah, thank you so much, Ladio, for this conversation. I'm really glad we got to connect over this. I feel like I feel a lot better after this. I feel hopeful. I feel really excited for the future. You gave me a lot of hope for a lot of things in the future. So I'm excited for that. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you for having me again. I'm really excited to hear this. Um, and yes, just keep calm. <laughs> Don't hoard toilet paper. Uh, take care of yourself. Go on a walk by yourself. I'm a Scorpio, so I'm sitting like I'm literally sitting in front of a river right now, just just feeling the waves and just like letting it all go. Take my feelings, take my worries, um, and just don't bring them back. Um, and yeah, just do that. Do what you have to do to feel calm. Uh, take a nap, eat some food, call your mom. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you for listening to Reyes Verdes. This is a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as people of color. Um, to stay updated on future episodes and just keep connecting uh, the Instagram at Nuestras Raices Verdes, the website NuestrasRaicesVerdes.com. And you can find this episode on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. Thank you. Thank you.